Welcome to another episode of Design on Purpose, the Wordplay Studio podcast. If you are on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. <laughs> Give us a like, uh, leave a comment if uh, any of this content resonates with you. And um, if you're on Spotify as well, give us a follow. Today, Sunday morning here in Mwilumba, welcome Fred Shabesta. What's happening? What's <laughs> <laughs> going on? You um, guys have all tuned into the right podcast right now. That's right. That's right. Did you expect to uh, be in Mwilumba this morning? <laughs> I expect the um, unexpected. Yes. I create the unexpected. I have well, a, I, I I sense that about it. you. Yeah, I sense <laughs> that about you. How does that? How does that go? Like, it feels like you're in like a. You're, you're quite intuitive with the way you work and you know operate. Yeah, I think I say yes a lot of the time more than no's, and then mm. see where that leads, and then just keep saying yes, and then eventually sort of wind it back a bit after you've spent all the energy, and then restart again and go again and again, and then you know, you end up in sick places like this. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. And it was, and yeah, it's nice to, to kind of show you around a, a bit and bring you to the Northern Rivers and the beautiful Mount Wollumbin out here in, in Willambar and share a bit of the lobster shack with you. And yeah, it was, it's, it's been awesome. And, and it was really nice to meet you in person yesterday at the, at the crypto conference. It's funny how fast things manifest too. Cause like we were, it was only a few weeks ago. We're like, Oh wait, let's get well, it wasn't a few weeks ago. It was a few weeks ago we reached out to you to try and get you into the shack. And it wasn't really like logistically a good, you know, got to happen. And somehow we're here right now in the shack. We're like, oh my God, how do we make that happen? But, you know, so uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing. And also uh, it's kind of your idea to get up at the crack of dawn this morning and get it done. So thank you for the, enthusi the enthusiasm. I think it's like part of your book, you know, be proactive, just get it going. Yeah. Set it up. You know, there's more manifestation will come. At least we kicked off with one thing today. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Yeah, it like puts you in a real state of flow, doesn't it? Yeah. Early, do something, and then whatever else you get after that, it's just, you know, like you're playing pinball and you like unlock the multi ball. I think like if you just do something first, then you get like all the rest of the other balls start coming in. So, you know, every day is a great multi ball opportunity. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And is that is that how you generally live your life like you generally live by the rule of thumb of like getting something done early on in the day we heard a little bit about your sleeping schedule it sounds a bit sounds interesting yeah um so i think i just you know i have i have sort of i don't really have like a solid task list i suppose i should in some way um but i sort of um i think my task is very organic <laughs> in that it's kind of programmed into other people and then they're coming back to me with the thoughts or responses and mm. more, most of those are sort of sent out between the hours of, I don't know, three to 5 mm. a.m., give or take a few hours either side. <clears throat> and a lot of people think that I'm overseas because that's why I'd be messaging. Mm. But then they realize I'm actually in the same city as them and then those messages at 3 a.m. were actually at 3 a.m. Um, and then their responses back normally reminds me of why I was thinking of that idea and then starts me on that trajectory. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got a sort of a, a flow started and, um, yeah, sort of put stuff out and then it sort of comes back and then can keep going. And then I sort of have an overriding top, one idea that I'm really passionate about and 
everything sort of manifests in some way around that. There might be other things that are other threads that are going on, but there's normally one big thing that I'm most concerned about. Mm. Um, and I'm constantly thinking about what is that number one priority? And then I'm just always coming back to that and talking about it, and talking about it, and talking about it, and talking about it and listening in like, um, which is, I don't know if that's, there's multiple threads, but there's normally a main priority in some way, shape or form. You know, and I think that mixes in with, um, you know, when I think of sleep, I think of it, yeah, not so much as a programmed thing, but more like something when I'm like tired yeah. or if I'll go, you know, I'll eat if I'm hungry. Like I, I regularly skip meals cause I'm like, ah, I'm just not really into it. doesn't feel right right now for me. So I just let that go. And when my body says, oh, you're hungry. I'm like, oh sweet. Okay. I'm hungry now. Now that's the time to go and find something to eat potentially. Or so it's kind of like, you know, some people, some people call it Shabesta standard time. Um, so once you come on the time zone, then you, you know, this is how it's going to be. And you're like, that's my train's going like this. And you can hop it on and off the train and come with me on that journey. Yeah, yeah. But the train's gone this way. You know, it's a railway line. Uh, um, and, you know, I think that's, you know, and then, but you, you know, you jump on the train and then you make the train go faster and, obviously there's lots of seats on the train and people come and join the train and then we, you know, go and we go on these journeys and you know, where they go and where they lead, they're obviously on creative and vast journeys. But yeah. um, I think that, that those sort of manifestations start, as I said, I think the, one of the things I went through, um, so after I, I was had a lot of challenges and I've done a lot of things and made a lot of errors as well, a lot of mis mistakes. And a lot of them have taught me a lot. Some are just, you know, multiple the same problem you know you make a mistake twice it's really annoying do it three times it's ultra annoying um can happen tend to not happen but um what do they say first time's an accident second time's a mistake or something like that yeah and then the third time it's just like poor planning <laughs> um <laughs> um you know i think that yeah after i um um separated from my my uh my ex-wife, we, um, she's an amazing person, by the way, lots of love for her. She's, she's incredible. Her name's Jess and we go traveling together. Like we're, we're like really great friends and stuff, but it was, a, it was a bit of a dark time for me. Um, and in that transition, I had all this extra time and I didn't know what to do. Cause like once you separate from a partner, you don't have as much time. You're, you're on your own. And I'd forgotten how to have fun. Like I just didn't know. I was like, how do I have fun? I know this sounds an unusual thing, but normally, you know, in your, in, in life, if you filled your space up with a lot of time of other things, you're interacting with another person, interacting with your kids. And then if you half that, you have a whole series of time that's now available. And so I was like, I don't know what to do with this time. And so my, my approach and answer was just go and say yes. So if someone says, so, Hey, do you want to go salsa dancing? And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm not really a dancer. And I was like, yes. <laughs> And so I would turn up and like, well, okay, I'll figure this out. But they would lead to, you know, hey, do you, you know, are you really into, um, you know, like, so when I was in New York, I was like by myself 2015 and I had no idea what to do. I was like, I didn't know anyone. So actually, no, this is 2016. And I was, you know, living in the Lower East Side and I, di I didn't know what to do when the weekend came. I knew what to do during the week because I was, I was working and I was like super excited and I, you know, just fill most of my time up with working extra. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I was like, 
Well, I really like chess. So I literally just walked to a chess club. I've never like walked to a chess club before. And I was like, I used to play this when I was a kid. So I just like, walked in and I, I sat down at the table. This guy just owned me like just three games in a row, just smashed me. And I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty brutal. And you know, I, I, I was speaking to the guy and he's like, Hey, um, and you know, you obviously, you like games. I'm like, yeah, I love games. He's like, well, there's a board game shop across the road. You can go in there and play your games. You want to go and play some more games. you you love strategy clearly. I'm like, yeah. So I, like, I just, I didn't, I only just met this guy across the table of a chess board. And the next minute he said, you know, do you want to do this? Yes. And then just, yes, 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 yes. And eventually I ended up like way up in Harlem one night playing a collective group of board games um, in a Whole Foods where we bought dinner because it was cheaper and just hanging out with some new people. And, you know, and then they invited me to a real life um, murder mystery that would like zombies versus someone that would happen in a park. And I was like, well, okay, this is wait a little bit too far for me. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, okay, well, at least, you know, I've unpacked that I love board games. So actually the games that he taught me are ones I brought to my kids and there were games we, we still play today. Mm. I really expanded and learned about that universe. I thought it's an incredible universe. And I've really reconnected with the chess as well. I realized that's a thing I loved. And, and so, you know, I went to and found myself, but I think the answer really, if I boil it down, was just saying yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool to kind of live like that. I've, ha I've definitely had some experiences, you know, some of my best experiences just getting into flow and, and like you're saying, just saying yes and going with it and, and seeing where it, where it takes you. But is that is that how you run your business as well? Like do you, do you take that kind of approach with a company? Because it sounds like there's strategy, you know, you're into strategy, but then there's also this intuit intuitive side. So I think there's different phases um, inside any organization. Um, and, you know, I think in the beginning, like very early on when there's nothing, um, like I, I, I perform like my sort of, if I was to sort of, you know, rate and review my performance, I'd say I'm extremely productive and, and, you know, can contribute a lot at the very beginning in the middle. I'm pretty good towards like, as the, as the project really takes off and really is going eh, less effective and mm -hmm. probably a more of a disturbance than an actual ad yeah. because, you know, once it's all set up and really going, you know, that intuition is actually, um, requires a lot of, you know, change, it requires a lot of consultation, alignment, all of these things, which I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing like from like all of these things that which, which sort of I think about aren't, it's very difficult to go and explain where did mm. this come from? It's like, well, I was in, you know, San Francisco and I met this guy and he told me this one thing about his business. And then someone else in London said this. And then the other day I was down at this fish and chip shop and they did this. And I thought this was really interesting. And I combined those three ideas together. Then I kind of like evolved that to this idea. And this is how I arrived. And I think this is what customers want. Cause I was speaking to this customer about this. And therefore I think we should do and do this. And like, that's got no data. <laughs> um, that's got like, but, and a lot of those things, um, I'd say like, you know, they're, they're real rolls of the dice mm -hmm. and it just so happens that um, those roles, I tend to, you know, win a lot more than I lose. Yeah. You know, I definitely lose in those as well, but, and so 
that intuition that that sort of um, is is got all sorts of formats of data and input that I've taken in and I've you know thought about and researched. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of in the beginning is really strong because you trying to discover and figure out like what's going on and where, where should we go? What should we pivot? What should we do? Whereas as an organization evolves and, and grows, that's not ultra constructive. It's about, you know, operational effect, you know, mm. oper- operational excellence, capital allocation, and those kinds of debates. I'm, you know, I love to, and to get involved and enjoy, but it's um, yeah, a different set of skills, which, which means that I'm not necessarily the best person to operate and run a company as it grows. And I, you know, from the very early on, I, I always essentially established um, finder from the very start to essentially replace myself continuously. Yeah. And eventually I got to a point where I actually, you know, I say actually I'm at that point now where I, I'm not operationally involved. Like I'm not, I don't run the going concern of the organization. I don't manage a PL. I'd say probably four people report to me, um, <laughs> which, okay. you know, sounds unusual, but um, obviously I, I would say I'd probably like the chairman of the board to some extent if there was, there's two people on the board, which is yeah. the two founders of Finder. But I think, and so, you know, I think, I think that intuition is really a product or, or where that success comes from, like to increase your intuition and get some more success. It's just have more experiences and just take a lot of experiences of mistakes and, and, mm. and, and then, that means then, oh, I've got that, you know, that hurt, that hurt, that hurt. Okay, I'm going to avoid that. That means, therefore, I'm going to go do this. And so your subconscious, you know, makes good dice rolls. Yeah, it's like, um, like, and especially with create, like the creative process is so hard to know when magic's going to happen. But it's like in those moments, it's like, like I'm just thinking about my own life. Like when I have those life-changing ideas or things, it's usually not when you're at a computer desk or doing something monotonous or some repetitive thing. It's like usually like on a bus ride or like, somewhere so in some new environment that sparks the idea um but then how so and, and that's obviously like i know you guys are really big on innovation at finder you know constantly evolving the product and everything so you know then it, it then gets passed along the kind of you know the ball gets kicked into other fields to then keep playing with this idea you know the idea and evolving the idea right and, and then obviously going into you know more further along stages where it's you know more regimented and things like that but so how does that how does that process work and how does that, um, how, how do your teams work around, you know, new products, new ideas? So, you know, I, um, I sort of break that into two categories. Um, so there might be an underlying process or system that's already running in some shape or form. And, um, you know, you're introducing a new idea into it and the organization pretty well ingests that quite well. Like, um, so we have a discipline of writing narratives and we'll write those narratives and explain, you know, what it is. So everyone has context then, and it'll link off to other narratives. So you can go back in time and understand the artifacts that build up to the overall picture of the organization to some extent. So documentation is pretty big in our, in our, Mm. in, in Finder. Um, I think it's big in a lot of other organizations as well. This is not unique, but it's just something we, 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 believe in because the bandwidth of the written word is super high. So, so there'll be this, there'll be some sort of document and if there's not, you know, that's normally where people will start or if there's some sort of unstructured time. Um, so in my calendar, I have a lot of unstructured time. It's just Fred desk time. 
um, blanked out throughout the day. And I, I put that in place because that's where I think a lot of these, these sort of meetings and unstructured ideas come from. I think the second one is when we are beginning something where we're doing something that no one's ever done before. So the organization has not done it before. No one else has done it before. And that's a much more, that's a different sort of process. And I think it's a very organic process where, um, you know, we'll explore topics and we'll, sh you know, there's a sort of, you know, chat rooms that we're just sharing ideas and concepts. And then we're coming in and presenting yeah. um, ideas and concepts that we um, like or enjoy or are passionate <clears> about. <throat> um, and we'll share that to um, each other. And then everyone is you know, sort of an energy exchange and off, or we'll set each other up and go, Hey, I'm reading this. And I think it's really interesting, this section here. Um, and then other people will read that and go, Oh, I got this idea. And then that idea. And then it may, it may just lead to some sort of genesis of, an, of, of a concept, but, those concepts sort of, you know, have some sort of, I guess, a, a space and they're not necessarily any particular priority organization. It's very, you know, expansive. Mm. And the way I sort of imagine it is um, there's, there's sort of two pictures. The one is I think of naturally is like a computer game. I don't know if you've played a computer game where you can't see all the map and you need to go and explore. And this would have been traditional, like with any other civilization, they don't know what's past there. Mm. And so they'd send people out there. And so I see like a wandering journey of turning up ideas and seeing what, what's around there and basically bring those all together in some way, shape or form. Um, and you form sort of a picture of the map. And from that, then you, you, you know, you, that's where I think that's the bedrock of, Hey, we've got all these sort of resources and ideas and concepts. And from that you start riffing on things and they'll have callbacks to other stuff. Like there'll be this beautiful idea that we love. And then we're like, we don't know what to do with this. All right, we'll just put this on the shelf and we'll come back to that maybe, or maybe not. And go on to the next thing. And so these, there's like constant threads of discovery that may not lead anywhere. And so it's not like a, it's a very, very messy process. I would say, um, and what it tends to lead to, but eventually is you will get some sort of customer insight or tap into some deep zeitgeist that we're seeing starting to form or a new white space that we've discovered or something's changed and it'll mean because it's changed because, because the, because the world, we go to the place where it's moving and changing and growing and evolving. And in that space, we take this sort of armory of ideas and, we, we see some opportunity and we'll take one of the things we've developed and put it in place. Yeah. And so you're just kind of ready. You're kind of, you know, ready for deployment in some way, shape or form. And that's normally where these products come from. Um, again, it's, <laughs> that's a very messy process, not exactly the most efficient process I'd say, but I don't think it can be. I think it's just more a, um, just an overriding methodology of freedom, of creativity and, 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 and being okay with making mistakes and, and then not, and, and also exploring ideas and being okay that they're not going to necessarily lead anywhere. It's yeah. just to nowhere and you may never go back there or you may at some point need to come back after you figured something else out. Or it might inspire some other thing that ends up eventuating. It's funny cause we have a very similar kind of way of working in that. Like we actually get companies to, to do those kinds of exercises with chat rooms and, you know, do more scanning and play and like learning as much as you can, sharing what's the news we can use here. So, you know, that's, it's funny, yes. isn't it? <laughs> it's just quite cool. And 
you know, a big part of that is the environment, you know, and storing these artifacts and, and then bringing them out when they're, you know, when they're needed, these knowledge items or, or whatever. So it's like, you know, how, what kind of environment do you create to facilitate that and do you store these artifacts and how do people access them and, and when do you know is the time to bring them out? A lot of them are written in narratives or, or, or drawn in pictures. Okay. So so we when we are doing this, we one of our principles is like draw it or write about it, like bring something yep. and that becomes the basis of this basic storage in some way, shape or form. Um, the picture can capture it even better. Like yeah. that's like when you, um, and so, so, you know, we have some really creative um, people on our team and they'll design something or write something or just literally <laughs> write a piece of code and literally write a little prototype and, you know, it's right there. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's, so it, it needs to be taken from like, this is the concept I was thinking about too. Okay. He, I'm, let's discuss this thing we've got here. And, and that becomes the, the sort of um, cradle, I guess. And then in the environment in which, you know, other seeds are planted or things grow from that or they don't as well. Sometimes it was just a journey we went down and this is not, like the right way to go let and we turn back and we um start again yep. which is pretty brutal but and <laughs> i said that to a lot of people in this ventures this is fun adventures um team that i that's really the, the one i focus on a lot on a day-to-day -day basis and this ventures team um i said that from the beginning it's like you've got to be comfortable with doing a whole lot of work and then potentially just throwing it all away which will happen and not necessarily throwing it away but just you know parking it here because you know we built a game for like, you know, four weeks, like a full on game. And then we were like, okay, we love this idea, but it's just not the right time. We don't have enough things. We just need to park it. And it's just sitting there. Or, you know, we were like, we want to build chat. Chat's amazing. And we went down this journey and then we sort of went, uh, and we sort of, you know, built up a prototype, got it like to a live enough stage. And then we were like, mm, this is not right. Something's not right here. And we shelved it again. And, you know, like there's like a, endless shelf of digital concepts and ideas that are sitting out there. And it's just about timing. Yeah. It sounds like there's a real, um, I guess, way that you've defeated perfectionism in a way, which can be quite um, hard for people because, you know, it's like always having to do something right or get something that leads to something else and, and um, you know, getting some result, but you're talking about being okay to fail and being okay to, you know, for this to just get to a point where you drop it and having that faith that eventually it will come back around and will come into something else potentially, you know, and it'll always make sense once, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, that thing at that time led to this moment now. How does that, how did you, I guess your own journey with that, um, like having the confidence and the, and learning to, I guess, explore and play and not have that, um, I guess like perfectionism sort of mindset. Like it's very, seems like you've got a very uh, open mindset cause you're not just like even playing in one lane too, you know, like it's so many lanes that you're making content around, you know, sharing ideas about. It's like, you're not, your identity is not just fi fixed to one spot. How, do, how does, how has that process been for you? Like, you know, over your life and yeah. Yeah. When I, when I think about, I guess, you know, this sort of boils down to pretty, you know, I'd say the most important way this is expressed around me is the third value of finders go live, which is a bias to basically putting things live on the internet, um, launching 
getting it out there um, and getting feedback and being okay with that it's imperfect from the start. We all, everyone knows that at Finder. Everyone's very comfortable. Like it's uncomfortable. But so the, so the difference is you have to quickly get used to this degree of uncomfortableness at Finder by putting things live on the internet that aren't perfect and, you know, all the edges done. Um, and what that discomfort creates is more momentum, but it's like, oh, well, I really want to fix this. Or it maybe actually wasn't a great idea and we should just let that sort of simmer and, you know, leave that there. It wasn't the right time. And other times it's like it, it drops and like this has got a lot of momentum and everyone then we can add more resources and capital. So it's really a testing of capital allocation to a large degree in a um, low cost way. Um, I think um, like zooming out, um, I don't know exactly where this process came from, but I probably, you know, don't have um, a large degree of, I, I just don't analyze, sit there and analyze and think through data and make up, come with my ideas from that. They come from just literally, look, I don't know the answer to this and what exactly this would happen. I could probably go and read about it and, and theorize about it, but I'll literally just go and sample it. You know, just take a little bite or touch the wire a little bit or, you know, un, un, like just do a little bit of it and just like, you know, a little, little taste of this berry just to see if I'll die. Um, <laughs> you know, to a large degree, it's yeah. just a large amount of sampling and I very quickly get, get you know, you get signal versus noise then. You know, it's like, it's like you quickly cross over to discover and find this territory. But once you're over there, um, you start to find all these problems, right? And I think naturally um, inside an organization, people love problems and they love going and solving problems. You identify problems. Hey, this is a problem. Here's a problem here. Because the natural answer, people love, oh, it's a problem. We need to solve a problem. So solving problems is what humans naturally are very good at. And they think organizations are really good at. It's like, we have a problem, let's go and solve. Solve problem. What's not natural is to go, let's go and create a whole lot of problems. That's in a, in a brand new territory. That's not a natural thing to do. That's like, well, we're going to like, you know, get up and leave this comfortable whole climate and zone that we've solved all these problems for and go to a place that we have all lots of unknown problems and potentially go and do that. No, that's, that's, we don't, we don't need to do that. And I'm like, my natural state is like, yeah, let's go and see what's over there. And sometimes we get burnt from that a lot of the times, but you know, it turns out okay. But we learn from it. We're like, oh, there are volcanoes there. We, that's not that great. But then in the future, oh, there are volcanoes there. Maybe we could use that for energy. Or it can be like, hmm, let's say we're volcanoes because we don't do so well with the volcanoes because we're in the ice business. You know, so <laughs> like, I think that's important. Like, to, and where it comes from, I probably, you know, go down, you know, in a deeper sense um, for myself. I think it's just a natural state of curiosity. Like I'm just constantly curious about just a lot of like the first principles of where things come from. Um, how did they come to be like this? Why are they like this? And I think when the first thing I think, and I find this really fascinating when I go to a big city or an old city, I love to look around and go, I go and I see, um, time. So it's like, Oh wow. Look at this building 
and that at that time, going back, you know, 300 years, and it's been here for so long that they went and made that decision. It's interesting why they would make that decision. There's a lot to learn from that. Mm. And I think like everywhere you go unpacking that, I find that really interesting. It's like, oh, I see they had to go and solve that problem. Oh, that's why that's like that. Like, you know, it's, it's you know, road, why are roads, why is there so much traffic in big cities? The roads are like really thin. Why are they so thin? Well, they just didn't have a lot of cars in the start. You know, yeah. just that idea, that's a basic idea, right? But from that, you can start to go, okay, well, you could start to go backwards and you'll see where the root causes of a lot of things are. And I think back there, um, unpacking things, I think you start to see a lot of fundamental um, principles, I guess, of humanity mm-hmm. and that will always be there. And and then I think you get a lot of, you know, that's a place where I like to discover what those things are and they're always evolving and changing. And I find that just, just an interesting study of like, I guess, human evolution. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we think about that stuff a lot too, don't we? And like in Australia, especially because we've had such a short span of time between, you know, like, I guess, settlement or whatever in, in colonization of Australia, you can kind of see those layers and, you know, sometimes they're quite thin, like <laughs> in terms of what's happened in that span of time. And then, you know, looking back even to the decisions that, that were being made by First Nations people about how they lived and in this harsh environment that we're in in, in Australia and yeah, there is a lot to be learned. There's definitely a lot to be learned from that. Um, I was wondering about, you know, the culture at, at, at Finder and, and, you know, you're talking about your way of working and exploring and I was wondering about, you know, how how do you build a team around that, you know, when it's just you and you start to kind of expand out and, you know, want to build out some of these ideas, how do you, how do you maintain that, at your flow? And, and culture and, and way of working and, and choose the people around you to, to be on that journey, on the train? That's a good question. Um, and I don't think that, again, I think it's a, um, a spectrum. So, and I think it changes. Um, so I think the kind of people I work really well with are like Swiss army knives. So, you know, a Swiss army knives, like, got a little magnifying glass and it's an okay magnifying, but it's just good enough. And it's got a little screwdriver and it's like, not like a full on, um, like you're not going to go and build a car with it, but you can do screwdriver stuff with it. And it has a little knife and it has, you know, a, a little chain and it's super like adaptive, proactive, um, you know, um, deals with all sorts of situations. And, and, and I work really well um, with people like that almost generalists to some extent, but then have a deep specialty in some particular framing, but are very prepared to understand and commit to the overall responsibility of what we're, we are doing. Um, so, and, and, and so that person, a Swiss army knife works really well um, in the beginning, but over time it decays in value. So like once you started a full on production line of, you know, say in Finder, we have this huge education content pipeline. Like, you know, we would produce tens of thousands of pages a year and all edited, all curated, all, you know, deeply thought about, like it's quite an, quite a, you know, a, a process, right? And in that circumstance, you know, you need a real deep expert in editing not just like, you know, and deeply understand a particular niche or vertical 
that they're writing about. So deeply understand personal loans, car insurance, cell phone plans, internet, whatever it may be. Like you, you can't just have like a Swiss army knife sort of writing about that particular topic, right? And so the effectiveness of that person changes over time. Um, and so in the beginning, a lot of things I work on they're at the start. And so really um, a, a specialist is not going to be, they're just, they're too down a particular path. They're not, they're, they're, they're not able to look up and go, okay, where are, is the boat actually going right now? Yeah. As opposed to just, just really rowing really, really fast. Yeah. Cause they're great at rowing. Yeah. Um, so finding those people, I think I'm not exactly sure what my methodology is, but it's a lot to do with intuition, I think. And yeah. I can kind of sense it um, with the level of responsibility people take. So a great little test, I think, is if I'm having an interview with someone um, and you finish the interview, you know, I check, um, this is a very unusual one, but I see, you know, did they clean up after themselves? If you give them yeah. an, a drink, they say, you know, oh, I need to go, you know, put this away. And because they're thinking of the whole system. Like like a meeting room is part of a system of an organization and they're thinking about the whole thing and not just, you know, um, themselves and it's their career and their, you know, that whole journey. It's actually they're part of a bigger ecosystem. And I think that kind of is, is it's a small test, but there's a series of tests I, you know, think about. Like I don't give the address of where the interview is happening. Like if you can't use Google and figure out where <laughs> our office is, then we've got an issue, right? <laughs> to a large degree. Um, you know, I think, I think, but these are like sort of, um, I've written a list um, of, sort of um, qualities that I look for. Mm. And, you know, these qualities are just things which I believe are very effective. Um, um, and we hired a lot of those people in the start of Finder and people who, you know, didn't quite align to that. It didn't really work out. And then over time that's changed and you have, a, you know, a lot more specialty. And so it's a progression. Um, and a spectrum of specialization to generalist. I think yeah. um, that's, that's sort of how I see it. That's so interesting. We've got a very similar philosophy. Well, you know, we, we love holistic systems and looking at everything in entirety to really understand what the problem is, you know, otherwise you're just addressing a, a, a symptom, symptom, right? Yeah. And um, that's something um, we, we really like to get nerdy on, on too, is all that sort of stuff. And, and you know, that's, that's it. It's like being a, being aware of that everything is connected and that everything speaks as well. That's one of our, our values, which comes from our, our teachers, Matt and Gail, um, that everything speaks, you know, every, every single thing that you do, whether it's like a physical thing or the way that something's presented is creating some sort of, it's adding to the environment to create some sort of response. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. That's um, that, that's embedded in the, in your way of, of hiring. Going, I guess, from where you are, you know, in Sydney, then there's all these other offices around the world. How does that work? Like in terms of culture, replicating culture and making sure that it's, it's the same, you know, authentic place anywhere in the world in all these different cultures, different, you know, places. How does that work? So I think we have some pretty strongly defined values and they are like taught by the founders. They're taught by, taught by, the leaders because the leaders were taught by the founders and then, you know, there's a sort of a cascading effect in that sense. Um, we also have um, 
um, leadership principles. There's 12 leadership, leadership principles of Finder. And they're sort of fundamental ideologies, I guess, um, within the organization. And it's pretty, you know, these are two pretty important founding foundation documents. There's an overriding purpose, you know, to help people make better decisions, help the world make better decisions. Um, and you know, you've, you always come back to that purpose in some way, shape or form, like it's sort of things come out. Like, are we helping people make better decisions? Well, yes. Okay. How can we do that for this? Okay. Let's go down. And you just, it's very easy to always come back to that. And it's yeah. a really good, really good canonical, um, you know, concept. Um, and so, so I think, you know, you've got the mission. We always talk about purpose. We always talk about our values a lot. It's like just, it's written into the channels. It's after the naming conventions of things in the organization. Like one is one, one of our, our first values called one crew, which means there's only one um, you know, team at Finder. We don't call anyone team, we call them crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the rooms in Slack are named one crew, you know, X, Y, you know, Australia or US credit cards. And they're, all of the people that come from the different disciplines together in one crew. Mm. And, and, and that's that idea that there's, you know, obviously you know, little, little one crews, um, but there's an overriding um, responsibility that we're all change roles and work together to, you know, take responsibility really together of the whole organization. And, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know whether it's um, necessarily, um, on purpose or not, but it's, it's just very viral in our language. So in the beginning, uh, we made sure the words were things we said. So we sat down and we collated together and we looked at the people that were in the organization. We said, okay, what are the types of people that we hire? What do they value? And we wrote down this massive spreadsheet. We still have the spreadsheet and we collated to get them to sort of together into some things. And we sort of titled them. We said, yeah. and we made sure that each of them are things we said, like, so it, became part of the vocabulary. So there's kind of like a, almost a, um, a like when anyone some sort of joins Finder, they all, like there's all these weird words that people don't understand. Yeah. And they, they, they have like very strong meanings and they sort of, you know, start to unpack them and they realize like, oh, I can see what that is. And, and you know, and this sort of, um, I'd say is part of the culture, right? Is the virality of our language, the Finder language. And I think that, um, you know, I think about that in terms of the English language or Spanish language, like the virality of the English language is so strong. It's like, it like eats other languages, like takes over. It's like wild how, how, you know, dominant that, 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 that virus is. And that's sort of, I think, you know, we sort of program that in, in terms of the words we say and baking in those, um, those words of what we say are into our language. So they naturally speak, people will naturally speak the values. Um, So I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is um, a lot of our rituals and, um, you know, celebrations um, are baked around um, these values as well. And everyone will talk about them and they constantly reinforce, but they naturally come out. It's not like anyone's forcing Mm. you to say it. Oh, you must say these values and the thing. It was just we like saying those words because they're 
part of the words that we believe in and everyone here values them. So when you're saying them, it's like, like if you say go live and find people like, yeah, let's get like fired <laughs> up. We're going to launch something today. Like this is on, you know, like we're going to go live today. Ooh, what are we going live with? You know, like it's a go yeah. live day. There's a go live channel. People are like jacked about it. You know, um, you know, we celebrate together. We, we celebrate going live and then we celebrate other people. And that, that's, I guess, how, you know, empower people is one of our values. And we really share the, the, that and it's it's this constant thing that happens and i don't know exactly how that happened but i think it was just the beginning we always celebrate um the crew and finder very openly lots of celebration lots of rituals in that sense as a channel um and you know i think i think you know ceremonies so we have a we have um have a big ceremony that we do when someone hits 10 years for example at finder um so you get a gold jacket um, there's a final gold jacket. It's just like my jacket, but there's, um, and that was just a, this is sort of an invention actually of my partner B. She came up with this idea. She bought me a gold finder jacket and then we integrated it in part of the company. Yeah. So, um, so anyone who's 10 years gets a gold jacket and there's a full ceremony to it. Like you have a walk-in, there's a massive <laughs> clapping. It's like a, like a real hype up. And then that's like a full presentation about the person. And then like, wow. it's like a, it's like a full ceremony. Wow. Uh, and then you get presented with your jacket. Like a black belt or something. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> cool. It's like you become, you know, that's like you, then you join, there's a, you know, a secret club that you come and join. Um, but that's because, you know, these, this is, this is the rite of passage to in, inside Fano, you know, we, believe in mastery deep mm. long that's our fifth value is master your craft to becoming a master of whatever you do it takes a long time to master things like deeply oh, yeah. master things to become truly masterful at something um and so that's 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 that ritual that ceremony reinforces that value so what is this yeah. person a master at that's our fifth value the ceremony is a big deal because they become a master in this let's celebrate that person and you know there's 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 a sort of a just a natural reinforcement again of the, of, of the values. And so those, those things get publicized a lot and they get recorded. Mm. And I think that's that virality and that's the spreading of, of finest culture. Mm. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright would say it takes 50 years to become an architect. You know, it's like, yeah, we, and, we and mastery. What's that? Uh, there's another one. It's like mastery can't happen by yourself like you need the teacher well you um, need the master you know, it takes more than a lifetime yeah to, to become get the a master yeah. without a, um, a teacher you know? yeah so so you gotta you gotta it's like that hero's journey right you gotta go into the woods and meet the teacher find the master learn the teachings and then and then apply it and hopefully you get to the point where you're also at mastery yeah super cool and um at what point did you when when was it the right time to to kind of articulate these values? You know, like when at what point in the journey? It's pretty early on. Um, I think we were one of the co-founders of Finder, Jeremy, was really big on it, and um, Frank and I had built values into our previous company, but we just yeah. didn't do. There were there were three of them, um, and they just weren't as. I don't know, like they, just, they were good and they were celebrated and there was a little ritual around it. I I, I just felt we could do better, this time, you know, in our second company and everything, you know, second time around, you, you do a little better because uh, you've made it, you know, again, mm. version one versus version two. Um, I think we were trying to codify 
um, and scale um, the organization and um, create an artifact of what we valued. Actually, in the beginning, there there's actually been a version one of our values and there's a version two. So the first one actually had seven values and now mm. the current one has five. So it sort of condensed it down and made it much more, you know, just a bit easier to digest with yeah. five. Seven was a lot, but... We've got 12. They're very, they're very raw. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're really good in that sense. Um, what I think is interesting is when we look at our values, we also sort of define what we don't value, which is kind yeah. of, you know we've written this up in a document to say, what's the opposite of this that we, we don't value. Yeah. Um, so like going, go live is a value. So we're not about, yeah. Perfectionism is not a, not a, not a, you talked about that before. It's not, not a value of ours. Yeah. Um, we will, but go live continuously and, 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 and <clears throat> to a point of mastery. But um, when we launch, we put something out there and we just get feedback and we build from there. And, it's almost a bit like building building the, fl- the the plane while it's flying, you know, to some extent. Um, that doesn't mean we don't plan. We plan a lot. We just don't um, need every single data point to go live. Like we are okay with taking risk. And so, you know, that's where the variability and the upside comes from. Mm. Um, if you don't take risk, then, you know. It also means we tend to launch faster. Um, so, you know, one of our sort of ideas is to, it's called finder first and we just sort of get things out there really quickly and be first and mm. just, you know, it's something we believe in. It's a principle. So it's sort of a, not a principle actually. I'd say it's a playbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that timing is important. Maybe, you know, I always think about it in the start of an organization. Um, but when you have the kind of first core team, of any organization, I think that's a great time. Yeah. Because, you know, you hit that sort of nice lock-in point, like all everyone here is the people we want. Okay, what do these people value? What is everyone here all about? And codify that. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> so many good good points in here. Like <clears throat> one, like you don't know what you, uh, the value of your yes until the, you know, the value of your no, it's like, you know, and that's pretty much what you're saying, you know, knowing what the opposite of your values are helps you solidify what your values are, you know, what they, what they aren't. It's so interesting. And I find it so fascinating as well. Like the, all the ceremonies and the artifacts and the words, you know, words are spells, but it's also part of culture. You know, every culture has a language, but they also have artifacts, symbols, things that have meaning to an organization that is, that, creates resilience, you know, like that's what, you know, a great strong culture is where people live and breathe the values, but everything has, has a message, has a meaning. And it's all part of, part of that. I find that so fascinating. Where's the, where's the, the limit with Finder? Like, cause it, it seems like you've just kind of been on this amazing journey, nailing all these, you know, bits intuitively going, Oh, you know, we need values <laughs> or this, it's like at the right times and, and growing to what is it? 350 people or something like that. Where, where's the, where do you feel like the limit is, or do you, do you even think about that? Is it like, how do you, how do you see the future and where, where are you going now? Yes. I think, um, I, I've you know, recently learned about that idea of finite journeys versus just, you know, keeping the game going. And I think naturally we set up finder to just be an organization that was all about surviving and enduring. You know, we were a bootstrap company. We, you know, do things a little, more, um, 
you know, we, we, we work fast, but we're okay with overridingly um, being a little slower in terms of how big those mistakes are and how, um, so we sort of limit that down. It may mean we, we, we're a little slower, but in terms of complete rollout of Finder, but we do experiment a lot. And the idea is really to create a multi, like, like, like a, you know, a thousand plus year organization. So it's like a different masterpiece, right? It's a different way of looking at things. Um, and so we think about um, things which are scalable and not scalable. So like birthday cakes are not scalable. So we don't do birthday cakes um, because you can't go and deliver a birthday cake to all the people that find it, right? Everyone every day. Yeah. And it's just, you know, there's someone's having someone's birthday probably every day. And a lot of people have their same birthday. You know, it doesn't work. So, <laughs> but if you think about that, we're thinking about that long-termness um, and planting infrastructure, planting ideas and seeds that will last a very long time. So a lot of our horizons are quite a long way out, but you know, we, we do update and continuously review that and talk about it and reinforce it and talk back to it. And um, so a large thing, you know, as an example, we've been working on is this, membership idea to, to join finder. Like no one really joined finder before. Like why would you mm -hmm. join finder? And that's where, you know, we built this app um, and this app obviously serves members and provides services. And we're now going to bring that into our website, which is, you know, that was really the testing ground. Yeah. Um, again, this idea of, you know, innovating and creating a space to do that. Um, and so I really see this cycle of, you know, innovate, serve our customer, find something new and, and another way to do that and help them, you know, obviously make better decisions and do that in a constant way over a long period of time. So what are some vectors of that? Are uh, One, there are just more decisions that need to be made, right? Just, just more stuff. And constantly, once you, you know, leave home um, from your parents, that's when basically you get a whole bunch of new decisions that you need to make. Um, you know, what insurance do I going to use? Which bank, bank am I going to bank with? You know, just starting from there. To, and it goes like, you know, obviously, you know, massively from there. And a lot of people didn't have those decisions, right? You go back in time. Um, people used to bank with the same bank that their family banked with. That was just what you did. And a lot of people just didn't leave home for a long period of time. That was just not something. That's actually a new idea. So it's actually not a... Um, because... Um, the structure of society now is that there's a lot of institutions and organizations that can support you if you fall down and like an insurance company, insurance company, if you, you know, have an accident, it'll, you know, pay you money and you can continue on. Whereas you go back in time, there's no such thing as that you have an accident, like you're going to fall down. And so mm -hmm. the family structure was the insurance. Um, so, you know, this will obviously continue on. I think that's a massive trend in, decisions and people taking responsibility for their investments, you know, self-investing and managing that. There's many things which are like, um, you know, the responsibility is changing. People are taking on and then they want to automate and sort of process in some way, shape or form. And I think that's the sort of massive wave of um, that's the overriding meta tectonic plate that's going mm -hmm. on. Um, you know, I think that's, that's one vector. I think the other one is just a lot of automation. So, you know, we've started this journey, a lot of technology, 
automating, understanding these ideas, decisions. Decisions are very hard to automate. That is an extremely um, subjective thing. Mm. Like it's just because, you know, I'm, you know, a single dad with two kids um, and I'm looking to buy a car and, you know, I've always loved this car. Then I go and buy like a mini Cooper. Like, why did I do that? Like, it's very hard to unpack yeah, that. Yeah. It's like deep amounts of, you know, neural knowledge yeah. that you need to program in. Life Not an experiences easy experiences and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we're starting on this journey and we sort of see that as a horizon to go towards and just taking out steps. So we're always thinking about, you know, shortening the distance from, you know, what you want to getting what you, 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 you want and, and trying to shorten that in some way, shape or form. And, um, you know, I think those sort of things combined together make a basically a never ending mm-hmm. quest and journey. <laughs> That's cool, eh? It's very cool. Very cool. And um, <clears throat> what about what about like your personal brand? That's something <laughs> that is is uh, you know, we we we're obviously into to branding as well. Um, and being, I think it's it's really unique when somebody has the self confidence to put themselves in a in a um, or express themselves in a way with confidence that's different to everyone else, which you could clearly do. You've got your own vibe. You've got your style, and your you know, you're, you're proud and you've got, you know, your content, you're, you're out there doing your thing. You know, how does, how, does, how has that journey been? I haven't actually, you put a TikTok up of you as like a, a young kid, like with a tan and a blonde hair and stuff to where you are now. Like, how's that, that journey been of, um, you know, your, your, I guess your personal brand? It's so interesting. Like as a, as a kid, I was just, I used to just, you know, ride skateboards and climb trees and set fire to things, you know, like. I saw uh, you set fire to your beard on one I did do that. It was an accident, but that was not intentional. So good as on camera. I like yeah. don't, I don't advise anyone to set fire to themselves. That's why that we don't do birthday cakes. No birthday not cakes. scalable. Not scalable. <laughs> Setting fire to oneself, not scalable either. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, I think it was a conscious decision uh, if you look at the first, I'd say seven years of Finder, um, I didn't do, I didn't speak on behalf of the company. I, I just didn't do that stuff. And it was very conscious. I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm. I just want to, um, do my thing. And, you know, I didn't do social media. I was like, no, nah, I don't do that. And it was just a, moment where we're like, okay, like maybe there's an opportunity to like, you look at the other, um, like I like, I love to speak, like I go to events and I'd speak and that's all I do. I didn't write a book. I didn't do anything. I just sort of went to an event, spoke and then just left. Everyone was like, Oh, what can I get more? And I was like, um, I don't know. Not really into that. That's all you got. <laughs> yeah. That was it. You know, <laughs> bye. <laughs> you know, like, so, um, and that happened for a long period of time, you know, many, many, many years. Um, and really there was a moment in time we sort of said, okay, maybe there is like, this is something, you know, I enjoy, I'd like to do. And I'm naturally, this is just who I am. This is just this person. And we were like, okay, maybe there's a brand around this. All right, let's just see what would happen. Um, and so then we started thinking, you know, started to think of myself as a product and that's a very unusual thing to do. But like, you know, 
um, what colors do I wear? What am I, how am I seen? How do I, what do I talk about? What's, what's important to me? And a lot of these things just come out naturally, right? Mm. To a large degree, but I just sort of structured it a lot more and started to curate that. Um, and then we started to set up our processes around this. You know, this is something we would do. This is something we would focus on. And it's about, you know, the amount of attention. Um, again, I don't think that, um, I was probably ready in the past. I was um, really learning about myself to a large degree over the last, say, six years. And I worked with an emotional coach called Craig Hall. He's a great guy and um, lots of love for Craig. Um, And, you know, I think to a large degree, um, because I wasn't ready, I don't think I could have been that authentic if I did that in the past. So I think this sort of that and doing a large amount of work on myself, like unpacking my self-limiting, self-limiting beliefs, you know, like I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, you know, losing, um, you know, obviously some pretty heavy topics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were self-judgments I had about myself and really releasing that. Then, you know, making mistakes, like all these things, when I got sort of very comfortable with that, I can handle a lot more of the, you know, the sort of, um, the energy that comes with being very, um, in a, in a, you know, where your, your, your person is part of a product before that. I don't think I could have handled that. Yeah. So, you know, getting emotionally fit was probably, um, I was extremely <laughs> I like, emotionally yeah, obese. That's, um, that's yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. I was very emotionally obese. Like I'm, I was like, just like way overweight. I remember my, my coach came out and said, what was I like when you first met me? He was like, well, you know, when a person who's never gone to the gym ever and like has dined out on junk food their entire life goes to the gym for the very first time. Yeah. That was you. I was like, Oh, that's fair. You know, just like emotional obesity is, um, you dine out on negative thoughts, mm. dine out on negative emotions mm. and you take this junk food and you ingest it. And it's like, Oh, it's just, there's a whole series of things. And then there's underlying beliefs that you need to go and you know, really work out. That's like the, the carbuncles on, you know, that you've carried around since you're seven. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think then um, that little brought a lot of self-confidence and it was something which I naturally enjoyed and we just started to focus on it. Um, and, and it's been just a, a venture in and of itself, like a business. Um, and, you know, it was just, I think it was the right time. Amazing. Yeah. We've, we're kind of been on a similar journey because once you actually start putting like the more you put yourself out there in once, like when you've at that stage where you're wanting to, it's like such a liberating thing, isn't it? It's like you're, you're free from the fears or the things that were, you know, might've been stopping you, the programs, those, those thoughts ticking over about why you should, you shouldn't do it or what's not, you know, what's wrong with it. It's so interesting. And, just is that that process and that personal development stuff how did that um rel- or, or like correlate with finders growth at that that time mm. or through those years yeah so i think um yeah i definitely think the last 6 years have made a lot of change um 
and I became this the sort of the limiting factor of the company. And then once I got out of the way, I think it was allowed it to really grow a lot more and way beyond uh, myself. Um, and I think that's because, and, and that, that that takes a lot of. It's a really hard conversation, right? Then when you're the you're the problem, um, yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> was not easy. Um, you know, I I think of it like, um, you know, Scooby Doo. Yeah. So in Scooby Doo, <laughs> there's like a haunted house, and eventually, you know, it goes on, and what they find out is the house was um, actually deemed to be um, destroyed, and there was actually a, an original founder of the house that wanted to protect it, and they were constantly sabotaging anyone who wanted to try and overhaul the house. So they they are sort of the ghost in the in the house, right? Mm-mm. And you know that's a classic story of what founders can do. They can be the ghost in their own house <laughs> trying to keep it the way it was. Yeah. Um, and that just comes out naturally, right? Cause you've made this thing and you know, you want to protect it and you know, every now and then things don't go my way. And you know, I just sort of now let that go and that's where it's supposed to go and you know, roll with that. But yeah, you don't be your, you know, the ghost in your own company, you know, it's time mm-hmm. sometimes to, exit certain meetings or exit certain things. And that was really, I think, part of that journey. Mm. Yeah. Not everyone yeah. who's a founder should be the CEO of their company. Yeah. And, and like, how do you choose somebody to, to step in and, and become the CEO? Like when you're kind of unpacking that and realizing that, you know, you need somebody to, to step in. And your identity is like uh, yeah, tied yeah. up as the as a certain role. Yeah, how do you, how do you even approach that? Did, did you know somebody or? So I think um, it's not an easy process, and there's several CEOs inside Finder that run different. There's one one that runs Australia, one that runs the UK, mm. and they're great operators, um, lots of respect. It's just a long journey yeah. you know, to find someone like that. Um, I think um, naturally, you know, the other founder of Finder, Frank, he um, he just naturally is a, a CEO. It just, you know, comes yeah. to him naturally. <clears throat> um, whereas and I think it just came into a conversation. It's a really hard conversation. It's like, hey, you know, one of us probably needs to be the CEO. You know, who do you think that's going to be? And I was thinking maybe that's me. And I was uh, afterwards I realized probably that's not me. And you know you have to have that moment of self reflection, yeah. um, which is really hard, like really hard. Um, I don't think anything can really prepare you for that. I think it's just mm. you know it's really a question of how far do you want to take this organization? What do you want to do with it? What's your goal? And if it's you know, about succession and survival and endurance over long, long periods of time, then that's probably something you're going to need to face eventually. Mm-hmm. And if the company's planning on being around for thousands of years, yeah. like you're saying, then it's going to have to face that probably multiple times. Have you, Did you see that Yvonne Chenard from um, Patagonia just gave his company away to – made Earth the, the only shareholder of Patagonia? I didn't see that, no. That's yeah. amazing. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Because really, he's a really purpose-driven 
guy like the the company was started um with the with the purpose around you know protecting the planet it came from um from the pitons you know they were destroying the the rock face with these pitons that they were bashing in so he just started his blacksmithing and started making these batons that could you could remove right but he never intended to start a business and and then you know you build something and it becomes this big giant you know organization and then you got to be so careful with that because it's then you know you've got responsibility to make sure it's not doing the very thing that you started it for in the first place um and you know this whole idea about playing in centuries you know playing a long game and your purpose around you know helping people make better decisions it's like what mechanisms you know have you thought about strategically like what mechanisms you would put in place whether it was in like a company charter or some kind of like safeguard to make sure or you know to embed that complexity to kind of keep it on track you know when you're when you're not around to guide it yeah. yeah and it's a big question you know like i'm not it's so, I, you know, I don't know if we have a charter um, as such. We have leadership principles, uh, values. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if charter is the right word, but like, yeah, like a, some kind of, yeah, like document or something that kind of, you know, would guide this decision. I think it's great. No, I think it's something we probably need to add. Um, that's my first instinct on that. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's something we have. I think we've been dealing with a lot of like, you know, five, 10 year problems. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. most recently more even shorter term. Yeah. Cause you know, obviously we went through a lot of turbulence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was sort of more 12 monthly problems. Um, six monthly even, yeah. you know, it was pretty rough, you know, bumpy ride. Um, but we got through that, I think, and we're still working on it. And I think it's still changing and evolving right now. The market's yeah. really, you know, but, you know, I think one of the things th- that might be tough with that is, you know, I, I sort of don't really mind what the format or um, sort of um, manifestation of that is because it's going to be very varied and changing and evolving. Um, I think what's is important, but is um, – I think our principles will help with that yeah. um, to a large degree. Um, and so that, you know, affects the, the leaders that we hire. And based on those leaders, um, we then can, you know, score them and um, they can, you know, they have these principles to live up to. Obviously, with their, we have our values as well. And normally, I think once you – that's at least a good kick down field. And I'm hoping, you know, those principles – um, we also have a sort of playbooks, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a black book of finder sort of, you know, and it goes through, <laughs> these are the things that we do. And this yeah. is our approaches that we use in certain moments. And um, a lot of those, I think are baked into um, obviously, I think it's just really baked into the people. And so yeah. I'm hoping that the, those principles um, um, help to guide that. But I do think you're right. There's probably a, a bigger document that could come together to, to serve Finder. Yeah. It's, it, I just thought that was so amazing that, that Yvonne actually, he did that. 
you know, and, and um, you know, just listening to you talking, it, it, you know, like the authenticity around your organization and you're really putting your heart into it. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of synergy there, so it'd be interesting to see to see what happens with that and where you, where you go. What does a world look like? You know, where people are making um, informed decisions. You know, how how do you see that as like a vision? You know, well, um, the way I sort of see this is um, decisions are about the future. Um, you don't need to make a decision about the past because it's done. Um, so you're very forward looking. Um, now you can use knowledge. In other words, some sort of organized, um, catalog of the past. That's what I think knowledge is to a large degree. Um, you know, proven with probably scientifically or, you know, or how it's manifested. And unfortunately what's really tough is that the actual past doesn't do a good job of predicting the future. You can only sort of try and guide and uh, anticipate as best you can, but most forecasts are terrible. Um, most predictions are as well. And that's because <laughs> of like what you're talking about is the complexity of um, human emotions is very, 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 um, you know, the universe we're in has got a lot of variables and we don't quite have the computing power yet to do a great job of that. Um, so the way I sort of think of it is, um, is to build essentially a very, very strong um, um, system or, you know, platform that does really, really well at adapting. Adaption is what most biological systems in um, this version of the multiverse we're in do, do really well. Um, the ones that adapt to whatever is happening or going on um, survive. So, um, what I'm hoping is that this version of, or this system, this 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 future, is um, a platform or a system that you it, it evolves and it moves and it adapts and it changes based on what's going on, based on where you're at, um, and you know it's 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 alive. It's an ecosystem. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily know how that's going to manifest yet, <laughs> but you know that's obviously a big idea for the future. Um, but that's how I've always seen it. I've always seen it as something which is alive yeah. um, and adapting and moving and changing. And fine has always been like that. We've always got this uncomfortableness of constantly being slightly changing about something or we live in a constant state of slightly uncomfortable continuously, Slight, always slightly unfinished, but okay about that and, you know, completing and improving and, yeah. you know, as best we can. So I think it's 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 some mechanism machine system that you are subscribed to that's constantly adapting in some way, shape or form. You talk about um, natural systems there uh, or relating to natural systems and you know, a lot of that's decentralization. Being uh, the the uh, crypto, is the crypto king your self-dub title or is that what people have just started no, calling you or what? <laughs> I think... People have started writing about that. I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, and and knowing about that technology and you know de and decentralization, what what do we need to know about that for you know I guess long and short term? So I think decentralized <clears throat> systems have a large amount of if they're tested and but anti fragility, which is really interesting. 
uh, as a concept, as an idea. And they also, they enable a lot of um, um, sovereignty, um, self-sovereignty, like owning your own stuff. Um, and they allow a lot more um, access and inclusion, you know, because they're permissionless, right? So you don't need to ask someone to go and use the technology or get involved because they're decentralized. Mm. Um, so I think those are pretty strong overriding macro trends. And I think a great example that we've just seen in the last sort of, I'd say, you know, 25 years is the internet. The internet is an incredible decentralized network. Um, and in the beginning of it, um, they were debating about whether to make it a paid system. So you pay to go on the internet. Um, and um, the internet is actually one of the ideas they actually, a, lot, a big group, um, came together and actually ensured that the internet was free. That's a big idea. And I think that's a, a good example and a great system that has enabled the Cambrian explosion of, you know, knowledge sharing and information mm. um, real time. Like I think people in ancient history and um, really talked about this idea of the great galactic library of humanity you know, yeah, we kind of have that on our phone. The Library of Alexandria or something. That was probably yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And then now we, you know, I think we walk around literally with an encyclopedia or like a, a pretty good catalogue of anything you want yeah. in your, you know, and that's an incredibly powerful um, thing for humans. Um, you know, I think someone asked Einstein once, hey, uh, what's your phone number? He said, just a minute, I just got to go check the phone book. Um, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of pattern that we've now gone into and you know, we don't carry these facts around. We instead, you know, just access them at the, our fingertips continuously. And so then our, our minds are freed up to a large degree of not, you know, repetitionally learning. And I think what that indexes into the future is more creativity, um, more creativity, more interesting problems to go and solve and more time spent doing that and mastering that. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting um, yeah. a writing thesis. Um, I've actually forgotten your question. Decentralization. What should we well, know? As, as well, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I love this idea of decentralization. I think it's great. Complexity. Um, yeah, I think it definitely makes more complexity. I think it's just good. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think what's really interesting with that as well is it removes single points of failure. I think that that's a really important principle and idea in my mind. Um, I think when I look at crypto, it's um, really this system that's sort of building alongside another system, you know, a, a good financial system, which has helped us and served us for, for, for a long period of time. Yeah. It's got its kinks, you know, and it's every lots and lots of currencies have come and inflated away and died just like, cryptocurrencies like you know everyone says oh there's twenty thousand crypto coins and a lot of them have died go to wikipedia and look at the number of currencies that have come and gone like i don't know if anyone accepts roman dineros um anymore um not really into the german deutschmark either no. um lots and lots of currencies throughout human history have come yeah. and way more and just have come and completely died yeah so so i think that idea is a natural idea and um like i think they're going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cryptocurrencies created in the future. That's perfectly fine and natural. Um, but it's a system I think everyone should at least go and have a look at. Like here is something which is 
there's clearly something going on. Um, you know, and I think what the, the sort of the entry point or journey onto that is, you know, is, is normally starts with Bitcoin to some extent. And then what you tend to go down and, and start to look at is I think, what is money? You know, that idea, I think it's a very interesting idea. Like, and money is really to a large degree about a store of time um, or energy or a store of energy currency. Yeah. Um, really fundamentally most, you know, of these things are trying to, store energy um, over a long period of time. Like, so how do you store your energy over? And that's what humans have been trying to do for long, long periods of time. And normally what we do is we find things are really scarce. So we thought, you know, glass beads are really scarce. We thought salt was really scarce. We thought um, there's the ray stones in Polynesia, which they're these giant stones that people still trade and they have value. Um, You know, and I think Bitcoin is a fundamentally a, it's very hard to see, but over the long term, it's scarcity. There'll only ever be 21 million of them. There's huge amounts of computing energy and power that go to protect that. And that's what you're essentially getting. You're getting this mm. energy just stored up. And, you know, I, I don't see that slowing down or stopping. And what it's really, what I think it's really interesting about it is you've got to transfer for the first time of people holding their own money in a digital way uh, and have self-sovereignty of that um, versus, you know, what we've seen over the last, you know, since 1694, since when the Bank of England was um, created um, and slowly over time through the Peels Act in the 1800s um, became the monopoly of currency, right? And this has happened through lots of countries and that has enabled um, countries to quietly tax people through inflation. Inflation is really just another tax, um, which inflates your money away. So you have to work harder and then your tax rates go up because you earn more money. And, you know, essentially that's the way the system works. Um, and that's actually, but, you know, there's a system in that and it's, it's served us. But I think this is the first time when um, money uh, can be self, self-sovereignly held digitally and... Um, it's very, very hard for anyone else to come and manipulate that because it's running on code. And um, that's a very, very powerful idea. And I think it's well worth going and having a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of the genesis point, I think, of a lot of, of those things. Then there's a whole series of other things that you know surround that that I think are very interesting as well. But I think that idea is well worth exploring. Just Googling, like, what is money, you yeah. know, and... I think that's, you know, where that sort of starts and where cryptocurrency can, where it goes, I think is, um, I think it's got a very big future ahead. What about the threat of um, digital currencies becoming centralized in terms of like governments rolling out their, you know, uh, centralized versions of this? Is that, is that something we need to be? aware of as well like because it kind of feels like it's like there's this whole freedom decentralization you know uh, sovereignty story and then there's also this like rollout of like a government digital system and you're like oh like you know how yeah what about that so we already have um a government digital currency it's on our you know cell phones and in our banking apps like we don't actually hold any of that money it's just numbers on a screen. Yep. Um, so I think that's already 
happened to a large degree, whether it's like actually on the blockchain and seen and, you know, that's a different story. That's a public ledger. Will, will it be a public ledger? That's another call out question as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually very bullish for that. I'd love to see central banks um, go and put their, you know, balance sheets and wallets and everything on the public ledger so we can actually go and see that. Um, <laughs> and then let's go and have a look at what's happening inside, you know, governments and, and things like that. Let's, 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 I would, let's, let's, let's bring it on. Um, I think what it'll also do is, but um, it will actually bring a Cambrian explosion again on the other side. So, so people who don't want to do that, they're going to go, what's the alternative? I don't want to use that. And this idea is called free banking. So free banking, um, again, used to be in the, you go back to the 1600s or even before then, banks used to just print their own money locally. You know, you would take your piece of gold and you're like, oh man, carrying this around is pretty intense. And gold is genuinely heavy, you know, and silver, it's like full on. Like I need to like have some sort of more easy way to, you know, conduct commerce. Okay, I'm just going to go give this to this organization and they would locally print some paper. And different pieces of paper from different banks had different sort of, you know, harder and softer values. Like, oh, that's a bit of a sketchy bank. They've once done something or this one's a pretty solid one, you know. Mm. And so the Bank of England was a pretty solid one because it was, um, you know, um, they lent money to the um, king and he went and fought a war. So the king was like, you know, had a debt. And so if the king had a debt and he was taxing people, well, you know, he's probably going to pay his money back. So their money's pretty good. And, you know, that's sort of where that's, that's sort of formed. Um, so I think this idea of, you know, introducing the central bank currency and all the other currencies around it will actually bring way more people into crypto as well. Um, and that there is another system, there is an other, um, I actually think is a really good thing. And um, I think it'd be very interesting to the analysis that will be done on a central bank digital currency and what will start to happen there. You know, if people imagine they did chain analysis and looked at all the blockchain transactions inside the government and actually what actually went down, um, I think it would probably be quite interesting. interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Like what actually happens here? I'm, I'm just aware yeah, of the, the, the time because time, I know we need to get you back and we could probably be asking you questions for hours, to be honest. Keep riffing. But uh, <laughs> where um, where do people go to find you, Fred? Um, so um, I think, you know, hop on TikTok, um, Instagram. Oh. You just type my name in. Um, LinkedIn's good as well. Um yeah, I don't dance on TikTok, but I, you know, try to put out educational content as best I can or something, um, you know, interesting that I'm finding and sharing. Um, but yeah, you know, they're, they're really good two venues um, to to reach out. Amazing. And um, thank you so much for coming in today. I can't believe we got you yeah. to the shack. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Shouts to Michelle too for making it happen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Wouldn't most things wouldn't happen without Michelle? <laughs> Makes it happen. What a legend. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So um and you can find our our accounts. Uh this is obviously the Design on Purpose podcast. We're on uh TikTok as well, just getting started on there, on Instagram at Design on Purpose. And uh you can follow our design agency, Wordplace Studio, 
on there as well. Um, but our website's wordpressstudio.com. Thank, Thank you, you for, for sharing your space. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's been amazing. And thanks everyone for listening. Amazing. Thanks, Fred. Thank you.